This morning we are uh, continuing in Mark, as I said in the opening. We're going to be in chapter 6, if you'd like to turn with me there. Mark chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 7 through 13. Jesus has just been uh, teaching in Nazareth, and the people weren't accepting his teaching. And then as part of Jesus' ministry, what he is going to do, what we're going to look at today, is his first commissioning and sending out the twelve disciples as apostles. And he's going to send them out into the different towns and communities around and have them participate in the ministry that he has been doing. And so as we, as we look at this, and at, at the idea that, that Jesus sent his disciples out, and as we connect it to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, where Jesus tells us to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. There is a call in our lives, a commissioning by Jesus as His disciples, that as we receive the good news of Jesus Christ, as we grow in it, that we do not just hold on to it, but that we would go with Him. And that we would share the Gospel message with other people. And so as we're as we're looking at this, I hope that we will be thinking to ourselves, what does it mean for us to go? What does it mean that we are sent by Jesus, who, if we think about it, was sent first? You know, we, we, we look at the fact that Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that He Himself has not done. He left heaven, and He came to earth. He became a human He lived a a life and a ministry and He died on the cross for our sins. He does not call us to die on the cross for other people, but He does call upon us to take up our cross and to follow Him. And one of the ways we follow Him is by being sent by Him. But what, what does that look like for us in our lives today? Let's look at Matthew, or not Matthew, at Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. They went out and preached that men should repent, and they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. Well, the first thing we see as we see Jesus sending out His disciples, He he summoned the twelve to Him and He began to send them out in pairs. And that's something I think we should stop and recognize. He sent them out in pairs. He he sent them two by two. You know, similar to the the animals coming to the ark for for Noah, the, the two of each kind. He sent them out in pairs so that they would not be by themselves, but that they would have companionship and partnership. And, and I think this is a, a, an important part of our ministry and our focus is that uh, as we are sent out, as God has called us to be a part of His ministry, His work, 
We need partners as we serve. Just as he sent the disciples out two by two, it is not good for us to try to go through things by ourselves. You know, to be the only one doing it. Whether you're a Sunday school teacher, it's always nice to have somebody else that is teaching with you that you can share the load with. Or if nothing else, at least share the leadership of where are we headed? What are we going to study? For children's ministry, it's important to have two people at least because we like to have something called too deep responsibility and too deep accountability where you never have one adult alone with the kids, but two combined. Having two people is a a help for us in not just these practical ways, but also as an encouragement. I think sometimes also to, uh, to have a partner and to have two people doing something together, it helps us keep the message right. You know, if I'm just by myself and I'm just tooling along by myself and I've got nobody else in my life, I can come up with some crazy ideas. We all can. In fact, I've known people, I've known Christians that, uh, you know, they don't go to church. No, I just worship God at home. I worship this way. I worship that way. And then they'll say something and I'm sitting there thinking, If you were around other Christians more often, you'd realize how ridiculous what you just said was. But they get so wrapped up in their own world that they just keep continuing going their own way. Having a partner, having people around us, being in ministry together, and it doesn't need to be two people. I I consider us as a church body together. We are in partnership together in this ministry. And because of that, if I say things... Lots of people who come up to me, sometimes they say, oh, I like that, or that was challenging, but sometimes they say, I don't agree with that, or I think that was wrong. And that's, a, that's not a challenge in the sense of I must defeat them. It is a challenge that helps keep me honest. It causes us, when we have somebody say, hey, you said this about God, and I don't think that's right, it, it causes us to go back to Scripture. And to say, well, maybe I misspoke. Maybe I don't understand. What does the Bible say after all? Sometimes you go back and you study the Bible and you have to go to that person. You say, no, this is why what I said was true. And sometimes you've got to go back to the person and say, wow, thank you. Because what I said was wrong. I meant to say this or I wasn't thinking about that. But having other people in our lives, having that partnership, helps us keep the message on. So as the disciples are going out, and we see this even in the book of Acts when Paul and Barnabas go out. You know, Barnabas was the leader at the beginning. It was only when they got into disagreements and discussions with people that Paul stepped up and spoke. Barnabas wasn't the spokesperson type of a guy. He was a great encourager and he was a great worker. But when it came to confrontation, Paul was the one that stood up. And he was the one that was able to argue with the people in the synagogue and explain how Christ was different than what they understood the Messiah to be. Paul was the one who was able to uh, take that over. And as the disciples are going out here in Mark chapter 6, you can see that you know as they go into these communities and they're sharing the message, maybe they're new to, to what they're supposed to be saying. They're still trying to follow along with Jesus. And so one of them might say something a little bit wrong. The other one can help correct. We need partners as we serve. We need partners as we serve. That's why when we go out and we go visiting in the neighborhood, 
uh, we always like to have at least two people. And it often helps to have one who's a little bit more experienced and one who's a little bit less experienced. Because then the one who's less experienced can be challenged and encouraged. The one who's got a little bit more experience can help guide as you go along. But the, the, the life of a Christian is not a solitary life. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. We are supposed to be in community with one another. We are supposed to be in partnership with one another. We're supposed to be walking in discipleship with one another. You know, if you, if you go to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, none of Jesus' commands are singular. They are plural. When He said go, it was as if He said, you all go. All of you. Not just some of you. All of you go. All of you make disciples. All of you teach. That was for all twelve of, or 11 at that time. All 11 of those disciples together. And here as He is sending them out, He is sending them out in pairs. So He's got six groups of disciples going out and, and sharing the Gospel message. And we see the value of this even in, in other passages. In Ecclesiastes, a, a favorite especially around about the time of uh, weddings. This was a passage used by my uncle when Amy and I got married. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9-12. through 12, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. So we help pick each other up when we fall. Notice it's not when one falls, the other one kicks him while he's down which we're really good at in in the church community, not necessarily here at Eagle Mountain, but I'm talking about as Christians. When one falls, we're pretty quick to kick sometimes instead of help lift up his companion. But he says to us, but woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, Two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. When we work together, when we combine our forces and our abilities, we benefit. When we try to do things by ourselves, we don't. And when we leave one another alone to do things by themselves, we don't help. I think one of the things that his disciples, as they went off two by two, I think... Part of this also is you've got to remember that in the Jewish faith, uh, a matter's truthfulness was known by at least two witnesses. So having two disciples go everywhere, it wasn't just one person showing up and saying this is what's happening or this is the message that Jesus is sharing. You had two people showing up and their messages agreed. And because two witnesses can agree, we can know that that is a true statement. It was necessary to have two people in agreement to make sure that people understood this is true and it could be trustworthy. So as they're going out two by two and in pairs, what does Jesus do? He gave them authority over the unclean spirits in verse 7. And He instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey. There's, There's two things going on here that He did as He sent them out. First is that He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Notice, He doesn't just give them blanket authority. Uh, And we should not take this as believers to say, oh, I've got authority. Uh, The word authority there means power. 
And so authority over unclean spirits means to have power over unclean spirits. That they could command an unclean spirit to leave a person and it would listen to them. This is power and authority that Jesus had in Himself. And He gave it to His disciples specifically for this ministry. I know people that read things like this and are like, oh, see, uh, He's given us authority over all the demons. And they like to try to claim things and, and rebuke demons. And of course, uh, that can get dangerous if we're playing with things we don't understand or know. He gave His disciples authority for a specific ministry. And we see later on in verse uh, 13 that they were casting out many demons and anointing with oil those who were sick. Not only did He give them authority over the unclean spirits, but He instructed them on how they were going to go about this work. And and so here's the great thing, that when God sends His people out, when Jesus sent His disciples out, as God calls us to share the Gospel message and sends us out to do things, He will not necessarily give us authority over unclean spirits, but what Jesus did when He gave His disciples that authority was He was giving them the ability to do the ministry He wanted them to do. He was giving them the power and empowering them, enabling them to do the ministry, and then He was giving them instructions on how they were supposed to go about and where they were supposed to go about. And the same is true for us, that God enables and guides us when He sends us out. When He gives us a ministry and a work to do, He empowers us to do it, He enables us to do it. And He instructs us. He he guides us. He tells us what we should do. He tells us how we should do it. And so if we find ourselves wanting to do something but not finding that we have sufficient ability, maybe God has not enabled us to do a certain ministry. It, It is not based on this is what I want to do, so therefore God give me the ability to do it. Instead, what we do is we submit ourselves to Him. What does God given me the ability to do? How has God made me that I might serve Him? And then we go looking for how can I use the gifts that God has given me? Each one of us as believers, we have spiritual gifts. We don't all have the same gifts, but the gifts all come from the same source, the Holy Spirit. And God has created each of us with different temperaments and different personalities, We all have different desires and things that make us feel God's joy in our lives. For for one person to to hold another person's joy and and what God has gifted them to do against them or to look down on them or to look down on ourselves and say, as, as Paul talks about, you know, oh, I wish I were an eye. Why did God make me a foot? You know, but but Paul's saying, no, the, the, the foot's important. The foot's just as important as the hand or the eye, and we shouldn't look down on ourselves based on our gifting. If anything, the the greater gifts, the things that are are best, are the things that are closer to God's heart. Those things that would help us to be a servant. Those things that mean that we desire to serve the people around us, that we have care and compassion. Those are the greater gifts. We oftentimes like to look at things like teaching or evangelism, as being the greater things. But no. We shouldn't look down on one another or look down on ourselves, but we should look to see what has God given me the ability to do? 
What has God enabled me to do? And where can I do it? Where is God sending me to do it? And let me do it there. We're not all called to be missionaries. I think one of the things I've seen in in most of the missionaries I know is they just fall in love with a place and it is not their home. They fall in love with a foreign place and that becomes their home. They love it. They love the culture. They love the food. They love the smells. They love the worst things about it. They delight in it. And that's a good sign that that's where you're called to go. I think some people, because they want to be uh, serving God and they want to be Christians and they want to be uh, serving and loving God to their greatest ability, they think, oh, I need to go off and become a missionary. I need to go on the mission field. And then you end up having people whose lives end up falling as wrecks upon the rocks because God never enabled them for that. He did not give them the ability for that. Instead, we should focus on what has God enabled me to do? What has God called me to do? How is God instructing me and guiding me? And what are God's specific instructions for His disciples in this case? You know, what, he, what He's setting up is not uh, instructions for all disciples at all times. These are the parameters with which He wants His disciples to serve. And this isn't even always for these disciples. This is just on this specific mission that he sends them on he instructs them in verse 8 that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff except matthew doesn't even agree with that matthew says they weren't even instructed to take a staff they're not supposed to take any bread no bag no money in their belt but to wear sandals oh that's nice of him they get to wear shoes sandals and he added do not put on two tunics Don't even have an extra outfit. Don't even have something that could protect you at night. Just one tunic. Don't put on two. Not only that, but He said to them in verse 10, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. So when they went to a, com- a place, when they went to a community, if the, if the village didn't accept them, they were supposed to just shake the dust off their feet. If, if they went into a house and the house didn't accept them, as they left the house, they were just supposed to shake the dust off their feet. But if they went into a town and it accepted them, and if there was somebody in that town that said, hey, why don't you come and stay with me? I want to hear more about what you're saying. I don't just want to hear what you're saying in the marketplace. I want to talk over dinner. And I want to talk over breakfast. And I want to hear more about what you have to say. They were supposed to go into that house and stay there. Now, if a better house offered later, they weren't supposed to leave. They were supposed to stay where they went. In other words, he was instructing his disciples on this journey to to completely rely upon his provision. To take no bread, no money, no extra clothing, uh, no bag. You could take a staff according to Mark. And wherever you went, you were just to stay there until you left town. Stay in that house. It didn't matter if it was the poorest house. It didn't matter if there was a better house later on. It didn't matter if it meant you were bunked up with their teenage kid. You know, sleeping on the floor. And there was another house that said, hey, I've got a, a spare room. Why don't you come stay with me? No, they were supposed to be content with what they had started with. 
Now later on, after Jesus sends his disciples out, as, as Jesus is going to the cross, he tells his disciples, take money with you. If you don't have a sword, buy a sword. Be able to protect yourself. We're changing how things operate. But for this journey, he wanted them to completely rely upon his provision. To be content with where they went. And to share the gospel message. Now, we don't have that clearly in here. All we have seen is that he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. But he's telling them not just what he wants them to say, but more importantly, how he wants them to live. Because the, the, the message that we have to share, the words we say, don't make nearly as much uh, of an impact as the way we say it. There, there's a saying that the medium is the message. I think I've shared that a few times. You know, in World War II, there were artillery guys that would take their artillery rounds that they were shelling the Germans with, and they would write happy sayings on them, like Happy Easter Adolf, you know. And did they really mean Happy Easter Adolf? That was the message. But no, because they're shelling him. The message is we hope you die. It doesn't matter how nice your message is if the medium with which you are sending it is a bomb. It doesn't matter how wonderful the words are if the medium through which you communicate it is faulty. Jesus has chosen as His medium for His message. First, He took on flesh and became a man. And then He said to His disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. You are Jesus' medium. Think about how often we have thought, or you see something in the news and people, uh, they speak poorly about Jesus because of some pastor who's well-known, some uh, celebrity pastor who has fallen, who has sinned, who is uh, uh, reported by his staff after many years to being abusive. And people say, eh, this is why Jesus is no good. Because the message of Jesus Christ has been conveyed through a faulty medium. It's one of the reasons why early on when I first became a pastor, Amy had to take me aside and say, David, you need to stop scowling. I'm not scowling. What do you mean I'm scowling? She said, you need to look at yourself when you preach. Because I made all sorts of facial expressions. I might have been struggling. I might have been trying to convey to the congregation, this is important stuff. And instead I came off as, I'm angry at every one of you. You know? And so I had to work on that because the medium, in many ways, is the message. And that's why Jesus is telling His disciples how they should go. When they show up, they should show up without any money, without any staff, without any bread. They are relying upon the Lord. They have a message that is free for all. And they're willing to stay with whoever will take them in. And in this way, as He gives them authority over the evil spirits, as they communicate the Gospel message, they're communicating it as He would have them do it. Overwhelmingly, what He wanted them to learn and, and, and what I think we can take from this, we don't have to you know, go out with no money or go out with no bread and go out with no extra clothing. But what He was overwhelmingly wanting His disciples to do was to trust God as they went. And we need to trust God as you go. 
As you go about your ministry, as you go about life, as you go about the journey, trust God. Trust God for the provision. Trust God for the message. Jesus told His disciples that they were going to be taken and into the synagogues and into courts. And when they were, that they weren't supposed to worry about and think about and try to plan what they were going to say. But that He would give them utterance through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would give them the words to say. And that doesn't mean that we should just be foolish and, and not contemplate. But it does mean that we should not look to ourselves So there are people like Brother Andrew who would get arrested taking Bibles into Russia, into the Soviet bloc. And I remember reading a story about an instance like that where they were uh, having to write a whole report about all the things that they're doing and instead he spent the whole time praying and worshiping and not focused on how am I going to get myself out of this, but focused on what does God want for me in this? to focus our hearts on Him, that we would trust God as you go. Not only trust Him in the provision that He will equip us, that He will enable us to do what we need to, but but notice when He said, any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet. In other words, trust God with the result. And if they're not listening, you don't have to change your message to get them to listen. If they're not responding, that's not your problem. If if people are in rebellion against God and they reject the Gospel message, not that we should have a a hard-hearted attitude towards them, but shake the dust off your feet and move on isn't a bad instruction. If you've shared the Gospel with somebody and they are not listening to it, it's okay to move on. Now, we might desire somebody to know the Lord bad enough that we keep going. But sometimes you've got to accept, it's not on me to make this person a believer. I need to lead to the Lord and move on. This is why Jesus even tells His disciples that if they come into persecution in one city, to flee to the next. Yeah, you want to see the place come to know Jesus. But if it's completely rebellious and it's completely closed off in its heart to the point where it would attack you and kill you, flee to the next city. Go somewhere else where they will hear you. Let God work on that city. Maybe some other day somebody else will come and they'll finally open up. We have to trust God as we go, not only with provision, but also with the results. If somebody doesn't respond, that's not on us if we have shared. Shake the dust off and move on is what he's telling his disciples. As they went, as he, as he uh, led them out there, we're told in verse 12 uh, that he went, they went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons. So He gave them the authority to do that and they were doing it. And they were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. They they were doing Jesus' ministry. He was going around casting out demons, anointing the sick people and calling people to repent. He was healing people and the disciples not in their own power, but by the authority given to them to cast out demons and with anointing with oil, they were healing people. So they were communicating Jesus' message. And... uh, as it says there, that they were preaching that men should repent. 
And, and this, this is tying in uh, with Jesus' own ministry and His message that we see in Mark chapter 1. There we go. Those papers, sometimes they're so thin. In verse 14, we're told now John, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the Gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Notice also that Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 6 are both tied to John's ministry. Jesus began after John was taken into custody. And if you'll look right after verse 13, 14 interrupts the disciples' ministry and talks about what happened to John. That Herod is hearing about Jesus and his disciples and he's getting worried because of John and he had had John beheaded. And then it's later on we get back to Jesus and the disciples. The ministry is connected very closely to John's and it's giving us the, 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 it's helping us to look forward and realizing that as we share the message of Jesus Christ, we may participate in His work, not just in the, the, the authority and the healing that His disciples are doing, but just as John was beheaded, Jesus will go to the cross. Just as Jesus went to the cross, many of His disciples will pay for the message that they are sharing. And that is part of what we face, that we could pay for what we are doing. But as His disciples are going out, they are preaching that men should repent. The same message that Jesus started His ministry with. Repent. The Kingdom of Heaven is at hand. Repent. And, and as we go, as He has sent us to what? Make disciples? Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. It's not our message. It's not what we feel like we need to say, but we are to proclaim God's message. We are to proclaim God's message. That's what the disciples do. They proclaim not their message, but Jesus's. Jesus's message was repent. So as he sends the disciples out, he gives them authority over the demons. He gives them the ability to heal people. And they go out, and when they went out, they preached that men should repent. They're expanding His ministry. Whereas Jesus was just able to go to one place at a time, now through sending out pairs of His disciples, they're able to go to six towns at a time. He multiplies His impact by sending out His disciples, but only if they proclaim His message. Only if they do what He would do. That's why it's so important for us not just to try to proclaim the Gospel message, but proclaim God's message God's ways. That's why we need to trust God as we go. That He has enabled us. He has given us the ability. He is guiding us. He is instructing us. Let's do it the way He would have us do it. Unfortunately, so often in the world, we get more clever than He is and we have our own ways of doing things and we ignore God's ways. And we say, well, all wisdom is God's. Therefore, the world's wisdom is God's. Therefore, we can do things the world's way. And and He says, no. Trust me. Do it my way. And we think, no, Lord, we could get a whole lot more people if we just tweaked your brand just a little bit. We could do so much more. And yet it, it just starts to fall. We, we see this. Uh, you know, I, the Salvation Army used to have as its motto, heart to God, hand to man. Or hand to man, heart to God. Something along those lines. And the idea was is that our hearts are for the Lord 
and we are here to serve our fellow men. And a little while ago, uh, several years ago now, quite a while back, I guess, Salvation Army changed its motto, doing the most good. Now, where is their focus? Is their focus on the fact that their heart is for the Lord and that their hand is serving others? Or is their focus become, we are doing the most good? You want to be part of doing the most good? Give to the Salvation Army Church. And I knew people, I have a friend who grew up in the Salvation Army Church, her parents served, were officers in the church, uncle and aunt, and it broke her heart. The Salvation Army used to be about heart to God, hand to man, and now it's become doing the most good. But it was a rebrand, came out of Richardson, or the Richards Group, not Richardson, the Richards Group in Dallas. Smart human idea. Tap in to what people want to do. They want to be part of doing the most good. They change their brand. We don't serve God by changing His brand. We are to proclaim His message, not our own. His way. Now, after all this happened, and like I said, Mark leaves the disciples and he talks about what happened to John. But then in verse uh, 30, after this interlude about John's death, in verse 30 we're told, the apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to Him all that they had done and taught. You know, Jesus sent them out and then later on they, they came back and they reported what they had done and what they had taught. And after that, Jesus even tries to get them away from the crowd so that they can recover, so that they can rest because they've been working for Him and they need some time R&R after the work they've been doing. But they report to Him what they had done and taught. And, and elsewhere in the other Gospels, in Luke and Matthew, there's a sense of, of joy from this, of what they've accomplished. But here's the thing I want us to recognize. As, as God enables us and instructs us to go out and to make disciples and to teach people, and, and it may not be by going and standing on a street corner, it may not be by going to another country, it can be by how you treat people in the grocery store. It can be about how those, those, those words that you share and how you act. And when you have the opportunity to talk to somebody on on life. It may be through making things. You know, we have the prayer shawls. My aunt heads up a ministry at her church. They make quilts for a pregnancy center so that the pregnancy center can, uh, the moms, when they've had the ultrasound and they decide to keep the child, they get to pick a quilt. So that when they go home and the people who were encouraging them are not around them, they still have something tangible to remember. And so there's a bunch of ladies in their church making quilts for babies that they'll never know. And that is part of their ministry. That is what God has enabled them to do and given them the ability and they are working so that disciples might be made and taught and children might be born. It does not have to be going to some foreign land. It does not have to be being a teacher or an instructor or some evangelist. God enables. 
He empowers. He gives us the ability. Our, our job is to figure out what has God given me to do? What has God shown me that I should be doing? How can I do it with the people that are around me? Who, is, who can I encourage in this? Who can encourage me? Who can I partner with? Who can partner with me? How can we do it in such a way that we are trusting God and proclaiming His message? And here's why it's important. Because the disciples, they came back and they reported to Him all that they had done and taught. And at some point in our lives, in our existence, we will give an account. We will come back to the Lord and we will have an opportunity to say, this is what we did. This is what we taught. We see this in the parable of the talents that the, that the, the, the servants come back and they say, here, I, you gave me five talents. I made five more. Here, you gave me two talents. I made two more. We will give an account. And it doesn't have to be a burdensome, shameful thing that you give an account. Hopefully, Lord willing, it will be a joyful thing that we will say, Lord, you gave me certain talents and I used those talents for your glory and they multiplied and here it is, your talents that you gave me. And what was his response to those servants? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. That's what we want to hear. That's the joy set before us. But we need to remember there will be a time that we will give an account. There will be a time when we are reunited with the Lord. And, and what we did with what He gave us, what we did with what He commanded us, we will have the opportunity to give an account. And so I want to encourage us this morning as we think about the fact that someday we are going to give an account for what God has blessed us with, what He has given us the ability to do and the time within which to do it. If you are here today, it is because you have time to work. You have time to serve, time to be a witness. I remember time sitting in a room. I, I remember... Uh, Roy Trotter Sr. He was struggling with Alzheimer's. He was in the Alzheimer's place there in Lake Worth. And I remember struggling with why is he still here suffering in the way that he is suffering? And it was because he still had time. He still had work. It may not have been the work that he did when he was young. It may not have been the work he did when he had all his faculty. But there was still witness to behold. Even though in my human ways of thinking, he was locked up in a room. No. There was still witness to behold. And he was still doing it until his last breath. And each of us, each of us has witness to behold. We have the ability to make disciples and to teach them to observe all that God has commanded us. One of the greatest ways we teach is by doing if we observe and obey all that God has commanded us, then we are showing other people how to do it. And you don't have to be a teacher and you don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to be a missionary to do that in your family. God has placed you in, a, in your home. God has placed you on your street. God has placed you within your peers to be a witness 
to make disciples, to teach them to observe all that He has commanded us. He has equipped you and given you talents and skills and spiritual gifts that you might do His work where you are. Trust Him. Trust Him with what He has given you and trust Him with the result. It's His message, not yours. Live out God's message of Jesus Christ. Trusting Him with the result. And know, as you do, the day will come when you will have an account. And let us look forward to it not with fear. If you have fear, why do we have fear about that? No, let's look forward to it with joy. Because we live faithfully. Because we lived obediently. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have gifted us and that You have called us to Your work. We thank You, Lord, that that You have not given us all the same work and, and that we get to do things that give us great joy in sharing who Jesus is and our faith and our trust in Him. We pray, Lord, that no matter what stage of life we are in, no matter where we find ourselves today, that we would look for how we might serve You. How You have equipped us. How You have placed us. May we serve You faithfully. May we share Your message. May we trust in You, Lord. We pray as the opportunity comes to us that we would actually use words to teach. To share the Gospel message of Jesus Christ. Lord, May we not shirk back, but share your message as you would have us share it. We pray, Lord, today that you would place in our hearts and in our minds this morning as we uh, have time to reflect the things that you have given us to do today in our lives in the present to serve you to be Your disciples. We pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be focused on what other people are doing or what we wish we could be doing. Help us to focus and to be content with what You have given us to do. And may we do it with all that is in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.